y'all. This is Sam's Aunt Betty. This week on the show, Jennifer Medina, New York Times national correspondent, and Kirk Siegler, NPR national desk correspondent. All right, let's start the show. Hey, y'all. From NPR, I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. Happy weekend to my listeners and to my guests who, for the first time in a while, are both with me in studio in Los Angeles, two L.A. reporters, Jenny Medina, national correspondent for The New York Times based in L.A., and Kirk Siegler, my friend, NPR correspondent covering America's rural and urban divide. Thank you both for being here. Hey, Thank Sam. You. Let's try to get a little more cheerful, Kirk. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Sam. Uh, it's it's Kirk. It's not Bruce Hornsby. <laughs> uh, I am playing right now a song that's near and dear to my heart that is also in the news this week from a little guy you may have heard of called Tupac Shakur. You both know this song. Yeah, I made the Bruce Hornsby reference that he's sampling. Oh, okay. You're on another level. You're on another level. It's okay. It's okay. So this classic Tupac Shakur song is called Changes. And this Tupac song, as well as some other Tupac songs, are in the news this week because there was a good day or two of reporting suggesting that some lyrics of Tupac's were part of the firing of Iowa's head of Department of Human Services, Jerry Foxhoven. So Jerry was a state bureaucrat in Iowa who would often send all staff emails with Tupac quotes in them. So like, for instance, he sent a song lyric from this song to his staff when he had an email discussing career change and he quoted Tupac saying, we gotta make a change. It's time for us as people to start making some changes. It's time for us as a people to start making some changes. Let's change the way we eat. Let's change the way we live. And let's change the way we treat each other. So anyways, he's sending all these Tupac emails. He has Tupac Fridays in his office where he just plays Tupac to fight stereotypes about who listens to it because he's a 66-year-old white man who loves Tupac and says that. Uh, But someone complained in the office. And after a Tupac email went out, he was fired. What was the complaint? It was the complaint. He's annoying or it's offensive. So after a day or two of speculation, the governor's office came out and said the decision to fire this guy was not related to Tupac. But if you all had to send inspirational quotes to your coworkers, citing or quoting some rapper or singer, who would it be? It's also cheesy. (laughs) That's the point. But I would do Rent. I'm also dating myself. Rent was my college okay, yeah. email quote. I would love a good rent quote. No day but today. Exactly. File your expense reports. Exactly. <laughs> Kurt, can I just say something like Arena Rock Journey? I love it. <laughs> I am my own stereotype. Yes, yes. So anyways, Jerry Foxhoven, I salute you. You've inspired me to send a bunch of emails today to all my coworkers full of really inspirational Beyonce quotes. In the words of Tupac, keep your head up. I had to make that joke. I had to make that joke. All right, we are going to do the thing we always do every week. We're going to describe our week of news in only three words. Uh, because you're the newbie on this show, Jenny, you get to go first. What are your three words for your week of news? So my three words are don't come in. What's that in reference to? That's in reference to the Trump administration's attempt at new asylum laws to require people that they have to check for or apply for and be denied asylum in another country before they come in to the United States. Yeah. So I saw that this week 
And I said to myself, I don't think I've ever heard of a rule like that before. Because usually the international definition of asylum means you're fleeing something dangerous. So however you get here, when you get here, come on in. Right? It basically it. limits asylum to only people from Mexico or people coming in through sea. Is it that means- legal? We don't know yet. Okay. I mean, they're certainly trying, uh-huh. um, but there's going there's already lawsuits about mm-hmm. it, and it's very much a question of whether it will stand. Yeah. But it is definitely the most radical change or attempt at change that the Trump administration has done, and as you know, they've done plenty um, to change immigration laws. Yeah. And the ACLU and a bunch of others say this is like completely turning your backs on asylum laws that were created in the wake of World War II. Yeah. What I wonder with all of this, you know, as Trump moves even further to the right on a thing like asylum and on an issue like the border, what is this doing to Democrats? It seems like it's kind of forcing them further left. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. We've already are seeing this and it's yeah. happened pretty suddenly and pretty dramatically. Yeah. In the first debate, you had almost every Democrat say that they would back decriminalizing illegal border crossings. And also, I think, like health care for migrants exactly. regardless of, of status. Exactly. That's a and big shift even from Obama years. Huge. It's a big shift from Clinton years and yeah. it's a big shift from the midterms. I mm-hmm. mean, this is not something that would have seemed imaginable even a year ago, really. Yeah. I mean, question for both of you, how much can we tell or do we know what the average American voter wants on this issue? Because I'll see polling data that says a majority of Americans think immigration is good. But like, say for those big generic questions, I actually don't know which of these sides, Dems or the GOP, actually resonates with a wider swath of America. I might jump in and say, as a cynical political strategy, Uh it's working in the northern states. Really? And the states that are farthest away from the border, that have the whitest population. Really? Uh, I do think in in conversations that I've had over the past couple months and stories that I've reported from, you know, the Dakotas, Montana, Idaho, I could go on... um, People don't know as many people who don't look like them. Hmm. This strategy plays well, and they don't have a lot of connection with the southern huh. border. They don't have a lot of immigrant workforce in yeah. their communities, and it's easy to be afraid of something that doesn't necessarily exist right in front of your face. I think this is a a cynical political strategy in some sense that is definitely working uh, the farther you get away from the border, yeah. at least in my report. But it, I think on the flip side... A lot of people who are closer to the border or a lot of people who are consider themselves Democrats or liberals mm-hmm. are absolutely embracing this much more liberal rhetoric, even yeah. if they don't necessarily understand what it means. Huh. I mean, these are really complicated laws. Yeah. I report on this stuff a lot and yeah. I'm always like, wait, am I saying this right? Is this the right definition? Uh-huh. I think most people can't possibly really understand like the nuances. Oh, yeah. But. If all you're hearing is one extreme and then you hear, no, let's welcome in the immigrant and you sort of philosophically agree with that take, you're just going to go that way and agree with whatever you're hearing from leaders. Oh, yeah. Uh, I have three words that are also about Donald Trump. Send her back. At the top of this week, Trump tweeted that four Democratic congresswomen all of color, should go back and help fix the totally broken and crime infested places from which they came. He was talking about the squad, as they're known. The House passed a resolution to condemn those remarks. But even after that, at a rally this week, when Trump was talking about one of the squad that he'd earlier insulted, Ilhan Omar, and when he brings her up, the crowd starts chanting in the stadium, send her back, send her back, send her back. And it was just 
a nasty, nasty way to see our politics turn this week. And I think, you know, there's the whole question of is this racist or not racist? It is tied into racist tropes that have been with us since Ellis Island. So I I think it's fair to say that word. But my larger question coming out of it is, is this going to be Trump's strategy every week or so? Find a new enemy, glom on to them, sick on to them until his backers do the same. Unquestionably, it's going to be his strategy. I mean, I think that he said it himself this week. I'm going to win in the places I won. Mm. He's just trying to he is trying to excite his base. And this seems to be a remarkably effective way of exciting people. But it's also like whenever I see Trump go more extreme, I say to myself, those supporters, that base, they'd be with you even if you weren't this extreme. Like he could have not said these comments this week and still had his base supporting him. I've been talking about cynical political strategies, in this case, uh, racist political strategies, but Mm -hmm. it serves also to distract from the other news. And here we go again. All the news cycle drifts towards uh, was it racist? Was it racially charged? Was it racially insensitive? So much of that this week. My God. Punditry. And yeah, you got to do the stories calling out Republicans or other politicians who don't say anything about that. But Mm -hmm. all of this does serve to distract from some of the bigger issues going on in the country right now. And I think that's by design. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, even when Trump began his campaign president last time, he basically was making send them back comments when he was saying that Mexicans are rapists and on drugs. Right. So this is this has been part of strategy. You know, anybody who is an immigrant from this country or just of color or of color has heard the go back to your country thing. thing. I am fair skinned Uh and I get emails from people I've been told on the street wow. go back where you come from anybody yeah. lots and lots of people have that experience yeah. and so I think it's it's not in a way it's not that different than what he said four years ago yeah. but in some ways it's completely exactly different. yeah I am just glad that we managed to have this conversation about these comments this week without having the tired tired is it racist debate this language is in line with the racist trope that's been in our history since its start so call it what it is and I'm glad that we did that Kirk, you have three words. I do. I heard about what you were going to talk about, and I kind of gave you my own three words, but I'll let you say yours first. Uh, Well, I have, is it safe? What's yours? Fire and desire. (laughs) Get it? Rhymes. That that sounds like a truck stop uh, romance novel. No, it's a really great Rick James song, but (laughs) continue. Sorry, I cut you off. So I took, is it safe? And uh, that is in regards to... uh, a now little town in Northern California that was mm-hmm. mostly decimated by the campfire wildfire last uh, November. Mm-hmm. When I say is it safe, uh, I was just up there yesterday and there's there's a scene I could paint for you here that I see all the time. It's a juxtaposition. You'd be standing in the debris removal area, uh, toxic debris removal area, and you'll see like a flagman standing there with the construction, mm-hmm. you know, uh, marker on and myself in plain clothes. A couple steps away, you see crews in hazmat, full hazmat gear, wow. uh, cleaning up the the place. So and they're then, still doing that months after the fire? Oh, of course. And they may be doing it for years. So as that is going on, are there also locals who are still like trying to come back? People are coming back in, some because they want to, others because they have to. Uh, they are the, quote, lucky ones whose uh, uh, homes did not burn by the fire. But I say, quotes, air quotes are unlucky because there's so much uncertainty as to whether it's a safe environment to be in. So, Kirk, this story, 
a town in California destroyed by fire, and now that town has to figure out how to or if they should repopulate. This is going to be a scenario that we see more and more. You know, there was a really troubling study this week uh, from the journal Earth's Future, and it basically found that climate change is increasing the size of wildfires across California by some eight times. Eight times. And the annual burn area in California has grown by some 500 percent. And as climate change continues to change weather patterns, it's not just going to be like more fires out here. There's going to be more flooding across the country. And this raises a larger question. At what point after climate change has perhaps made where you live really less inhabitable because of crazy weather patterns? At what point do you say, I'm not going to go back to paradise, to this beach town, to whatever? Are people grappling with that big question yet, Kirk? Yes, in some respects, but I've even had it pointed out to me, well, you live in Los Angeles, uh, you're not moving away because of the threat of earthquakes. There are threats everywhere, people say. When you talk to behavioral scientists, they always point out that people just still don't always see that as happening to Mm -hmm. them directly, even if all the evidence Mm -hmm. is right in front of them and even if it's actually Mm -hmm. affecting them a bit. Mm -hmm. uh, It's difficult to change. And people will say, well, we'll move off the ridge uh, in the Sierra Nevada foothills down into the valley and Mm -hmm. the valley, the Sacramento River, floods constantly. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, where do you go? And uh, not to be too doomsday, but there's Mount Shasta, the volcano. We have just talked about struggles at the border uh, offensiveness in our politics and California burning. But we're going to pick it up after the break because we're going to talk about aliens in Area 51. Uh, there's a Facebook event page right now with millions of followers, and the page is telling folks to storm Area 51 this September. Yes. <laughs> so cool. <laughs> but the thing I, is, well, I put it on my calendar as something <laughs> to definitely cover. Thing is, no one knows if it's a joke or if it may really happen. So, We'll find answers and maybe even aliens after the break. Support for this NPR podcast and the following message come from BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who specialize in issues such as depression, stress, anxiety, and more. Connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment at your convenience. Get help at your own time and your own pace. Schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist. Visit BetterHelp.com minute to learn more. Support for NPR comes from Newman's Own Foundation, working to nourish the common good by donating all profits from Newman's Own food products to charitable organizations that seek to make the world a better place. More information is available at newmansownfoundation.org. It has already been an eventful summer in politics. Yeah, between the 2020 debates and the president's battle over immigration, there's a lot going on. And when there's news you need to know about, the NPR Politics Podcast is there to tell you what happened. Not to mention, we're hitting the road so you can meet all of the 2020 contenders. Oh, NPR is going to drive me completely crazy. (laughs) The NPR Politics Podcast. Subscribe! We're back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders in studio in Culver City, California, with two guests, Jenny Medina, national correspondent for The New York Times, based in L.A., and Kirk Siegler, NPR correspondent covering America's rural-urban divide. I said rural quite well, then. <laughs> Usually it's I was hard about to, to remark on you not saying wow. rural. Rural. It's hard to say. It's like brewery. Rural drawer. Rural brewery. Rural brewery. Anyway, (laughs) 
random question for both of you. Do you believe in aliens? Oh, my kids keep asking me this. And I said no. And then I thought... Why would you tell them no? You don't know. I know. That's exactly <laughs> what I thought. I thought, oh, I shouldn't have said that so quickly. Yeah, yeah. Kirk, what about you? I mean, I guess, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't want to rule it out. I mean, you look up at that sky and it's infinity. I mean, anything yeah. could be out there. I think there's definitely aliens. Um, a lot of people apparently do because there is... Um, Facebook event page that as of this week has close to 2 million people saying they are interested in storming Area 51 this September. Now, Area 51 is a Southern Nevada Air Force facility that a lot of folks say has aliens and UFOs and other stuff. It has been the stuff of lore for decades. Um, So many conspiracy theories around Area 51, Uh, in part because the CIA didn't even acknowledge this place until 2013. (laughs) So anyways, this Facebook event has gotten so big now, the Air Force has been sending out official comment saying, hey, people, please don't come here. It's not safe. Seriously, do not come. Um, I wanted to talk about how this level of crazy made it all the way up to the Air Force. Uh, And I want to talk about why it's happening now and what this place means to the country. So I called up an expert. His name is Aaron Gullius. He's a history professor at Mott Community College. He studies conspiracy theories, and he also hosts a podcast called, wait for it, The Saucer Life, a podcast of flying saucer history and lore. There's a podcast for everything. There is. And, I mean, if there was any week to call this man to talk about Area 51, it is this week. So here's our chat. Professor Gullius, hi, how are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm good. I want to ask two questions that seem kind of basic, but I bet people think they know but don't know. Like, one, what exactly is at Area 51? And two, when did Area 51 become a thing in the culture, you know? Yeah, (laughs) good questions. As far as what Area 51 is and what might be there, it's part number 51, basically, of the vast amount of land that the federal government and specifically, you know, the Departments of Energy and Defense control out west. And what was used as testing ground for various top secret aircraft during the Cold War era. Things like the stealth fighter and the stealth bomber were probably sort of prototyped and flown around there. But folks around there saw those things flying up in the sky and said, wait, are those UFOs? Right, because they didn't look, I mean, if you look at a stealth fighter and you think about what years it would have been in development and, and not public knowledge, it doesn't look like anything else in the sky at that time. So that's as far as we can sort of tell because the government really doesn't talk about Area 51 in any sort of official way. We know there's stuff there. We know people are working. Now, as far as when it became a thing, about 1987, 1988, this this supposed scientist, Bob Lazar, gets in contact with, uh, I think it was KLAS TV in Mm -hmm. Las Vegas, and Mm -hmm. they start doing stories about his work at an installation called S4, where he worked on materials that had been supposedly, he said, captured from crashed alien spacecraft. And it becomes a big story. And the problem is Lazar's credibility was in question even from from UFO researchers. Uh, The late Stanton Friedman, who basically was the, the primary promoter and investigator of the Roswell 
incident. He did some investigation into Lazar's claims about his his educational credentials and and mm. found that there was there wasn't anything there. Yeah. So then September's going to come. What do you think is going to happen on that day? We've already seen the Air Force say, "Don't come out here, don't do it." Like what right. do we predict and, and for that day? What I think is most likely going to happen is not an attempt to invade Area 51, but I can see groups taking this as an opportunity to sort of protest what they see as government UFO secrecy. I can see it turning into a rally. Oh, my God. Area 51, the rally. (laughs) You know, it's a few years ago. There was a woman who declared on the Internet that she was very publicly and in a lot of places that she was going on a hunger strike until the government unleashed what it knew about UFOs. And, And UFO researchers, you know, went out and said, you know, this is a bad idea. Yeah. So then what does the story of the Storm Area 51 Facebook group say about us right now? One thing I think it does is it highlights the degree to which modern social media culture makes it incredibly difficult to really figure out what anybody's trying to say and if Mm. they're being serious or not. And I, I think it also says that there is a persistent and an ongoing and a deepening mistrust of governmental institutions whether whether it be formulated in in like you know we need to take down the deep state or in a fear of those who are talking about taking down the deep state depending on what side of of the spectrum one falls on so i think those are things that have struck me i've been looking at various parts of this subculture for for 20 years and this is one of those things that it doesn't surprise me, but what surprises me is the the reactions to it and the way it makes the news and, and the multiple ways it's being interpreted. And it's all happening so quickly. Two quick questions before we have to let you go. Are you going? No. <laughs> okay. Two, do you believe aliens exist? I have no reason to believe aliens don't exist. I will say, if there are aliens out there, and I kind of personally think they have to be, right? Like, I hope they come, and I hope they're friendly, and I hope they have, like, a totally new way of doing music. Like, I wonder what alien music sounds like. I think about this a lot, but that's another conversation. <laughs> I'm thinking about those tones that are between the half steps. Yeah. You know, how does music sound when your brain operates on a different frequency? Exactly. Thank you so much for talking with us about UFOs and Area 51 and... You made sense of a really complex, weird thing. So I appreciate that. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. That was Aaron Gullius. He's a professor of history at Mott Community College. He studies conspiracy theories, and he also hosts the podcast The Saucer Life, a podcast of flying saucer history and lore. I'm back in studio now with my two panelists for the week, Jenny Medina, who covers politics from The New York Times, and Kirk Siegler, who covers the rural urban divide in America. So a lot to unpack there. What do you make of this? Like, are we all just driving ourselves kind of crazy through the Internet? (laughs) But it's so much more fun than (laughs) real life that we could see. (laughs) 
<laughs> that is true, especially right now in this toxic news cycle. It's like also so hard to know right now whether or not like, you know, all the people who said they were interested in something, are they, like you said, like... Are they going to do it? Yeah. Yeah. And I could see us all going out there. It's just going to be me and a bunch of like local TV news <laughs> trucks, maybe, maybe MSNBC. It'll be more journalists than people. Yeah. Alien clicktivism. Yeah. I also, I, like, I have always said to myself, well, there must be aliens because the universe is so big. So I'm like, if they're out there, I hope they're friendly. Come teach us new things. Yeah, I hope they're like in that movie, was it Arrival? Oh, yeah. These are the aliens yeah, right? that we get, not yeah. the kind of not scary ones. E. Oh, that's oh, yeah, so e. cute. Do either of you know how to do the Naruto run? No. So in this event page for the Facebook event for to storm Area 51, they want everyone to come out there and, and do a Naruto run to, like, storm in. And that is basically this pose that's used a lot in cartoons and stuff. You put your arms back. Should we describe what you're doing right now? Yes. You put your <laughs> arms back. You lean your back forward, you put your head out first, and you just run. You look like you're trying like to be this. a superhero, like, like a kid jumping yes. off of something he shouldn't. I'll do it for it's you. Not fly. Here it is. Ready? Here is my Naruto run. Ah! <laughs> That's what you do. Why is that more effective for aliens? I don't know. Don't I have no idea. Like you should go, you know, just welcome, walk up, <laughs> give a hug or something. I'm going to start to Naruto run everywhere. Naruto run in Whole Foods. Naruto run at the oil change place. Naruto run. Uh, anyways, uh, it's time for a break. When we come back, my favorite game, Who Said That? BRB. Support for this podcast and the following message come from the Walton Family Foundation, where opportunity takes root. More information is available at waltonfamilyfoundation.org. We spend millions of hours and billions of dollars on video games. But can consoles still compete with the next level of streaming and subscriber services? I'm Joshua Johnson. Subscribe to 1A on NPR as we consider the future of gaming. We are back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders, joined in studio with two guests, Kirk Siegler, NPR correspondent covering America's rural-urban divide, and Jenny Medina, national correspondent for The New York Times, based in L.A., but covering the campaign on a scale of one to, oh, my God, as a campaign reporter, how tired are you right now? Oh, I just started. Okay. So, and I just <laughs> got back from vacation. Where'd you go? Panama. Oh. Mm. My grandmother turned 90. Oh, I love it. So you're not tired yet. So I'm not tired Wait yet. for it. I know. I hear. <laughs> All right, y'all. It is time for my favorite game. Who said that? Ooh, All right, uh, Kirk, you've played this game many a time. Will you explain to our new panelist, Jenny, how this works? I'm a little nervous. Oh, my God. Don't be nervous. Kirk, you can do it. I don't Now remember. Kirk's nervous. Yeah. It's the most simplest game. When you game. just say who said that. Literally, Kirk. That's what all I, I asked you to say. What I'm nervous for is the game where we have to, like, uh, ID the song. Is that still a thing? That was at the top, and you got Bruce Hornsby already. Oh. And Tupac. Oh, he's going to lap me. It's fine. It's fine. This game is very simple. I share three quotes from the week. You have to guess who said that. Uh, you can get close, get the story I'm talking about, get a keyword, uh, and then you get a point. The winner, per usual, per always, gets absolutely nothing. All right, first quote. <clears throat> it's not clear at this point what the privacy risks are. But what is clear is that the benefits of avoiding the app outweigh the risks. 
the old people app. I don't know yes. if you said it, though. The, it's okay. That's close enough. Face app. So face app. Face yeah. app is this uh, app sweeping the nation where you submit a photo of yourself, and it ages you by a few decades to show you what you might look like as an older person. Uh, everyone is loving it. But this week, the DNC sent out official guidance to every Democratic candidate for president and said, don't do it. This app is made by the Russians, and we've been burned before by the Russians. Please don't. As you know, uh, in 2016, the Hillary Clinton campaign was hacked by the Russians. Their emails were. And I think Democrats are pretty scared of anything like that happening again. So they said, no face app. Are y'all scared of this 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 app? It is tied to Russia in some way? Scared because of Russia or yeah. scared because you're scared to see what you look like a few decades <laughs> on? All Both. All of the above. I, I mean, I, I saw some friends doing it. Yeah. And I didn't quite see the appeal. Yeah. This may sound a little hypocritical because I've clearly already given my face to Apple, but yeah. uh, it just seems like one more way to give somebody you don't know your data, your personal data. Oh, yeah. It's like those Twitter games, like, list your first five jobs. No, don't, because then <laughs> like we're going to know everything about you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, then also what's crazy is like uh, the terms of use for this app, they say uh, that they own these photos forever. Oh. And they can also, once you say yes to FaceApp, they can access just like your whole photo library on your phone. Oh, that is really scary. Right? Right? Anyways, they already have our faces. Jenny, you already have a point. You're up. One zip. Yeah. Next quote. Ready? Fill in the blank for this quote. It's about a movie. That's all I'll say. Okay? This hour, I will be thinking about how and why the blanks have human noses. Cats. Yes. Cats. Two for two, Jenny. Uh, So Cats is in the news this week because the strange yet iconic Broadway play is coming to a movie theater near you. And the trailer for the film was dropped this week. And it was so disturbing. Have y'all watched it? I'm a little horrified to admit that I didn't watch it. Can I just play like like, a little bit of it for you? But I love Cats. Yes. You liked Cats? I love Cats. Oh, why? This is the wrong time to say it's one of the only, it's the first Broadway show I ever saw. Wait. Am I here with two cats apologists? Well, we I'm grew not up ha- apologizing. <laughs> we grew up having to listen <laughs> Hello, to the soundtrack. Great dancing. Okay, but there's no plot. Who cares? Who cares? And the costumes. <laughs> Some of them, they range from terrifying to like cuddly. Take your headphones off. Come close to my mic. We're going to watch this trailer. <laughs> That's weird. Are they people? Are they cats? Wasn't this the only song that was not originally? Oh, really? I don't know. Why did I know that? Why, why? Some cats are naked. Some cats have clothes on. She had a fur coat on, and that one's naked. And they have cat ears, but a human nose. Why does that think it's so literal? Lady? You believe in aliens. <laughs> <laughs> okay, into the mic. How do you feel about it? I love it. I like wanted to be. In cats. Oh, my God. You wanted to be on, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that quote that I read to you, that was from R. Eric Thomas. He's a writer for Elle magazine who tweeted his reservations and fears about this trailer and film. Uh, and the whole internet is just like, what is this? Just a sample of some of the headlines about this trailer. Um, Your eyeballs are not ready for the horrors within the Cats trailer. The five stages of dealing with the Cats trailer. I do not understand the Cats in the new Cats trailer. The Cats trailer with Taylor Swift and Jennifer Hudson has shaken me to my core. And I watched the Cats trailer and I have some questions. People are upset. It must be endlessly uh, 
crazy to try to put out a movie these days when everybody and anybody can <laughs> okay. write anything and sort of take something down. <laughs> well, just make a good it movie. Didn't take it down. It, look at how much attention That's it got. True. <laughs> That's true. All right, last quote. An internship at the White House will be amazing on your resume. Who said that? Uh, is it the? I'm just because I'm down 2-0. Is it the new White House Communications? Who is the most famous White House intern of all time? Monica, oh, Monica Lewinsky. Yes, you got it first. By right there. Yes. When? So Monica Why? Lewinsky on Twitter this week, she responded to a tweet that was asking people to share the worst career advice they've ever received. So some folks were like, my worst advice was, you know, always be the last one in the office or follow your dreams. She was like, my worst advice was to go be a White House intern. <laughs> um, with that, Jenny. You mopped the floor with Kirk. You won Who Said That? Three to zip. Congratulations. Thank you. How do you feel? Excellent. Better than I thought I would after the end of a pop quiz. Better than Jennifer Hudson in the Cats trailer. Maybe not that great. (laughs) All right. Each week we ask our listeners to share with us the best thing that happened to them all week. We encourage folks to brag. They always do. Anjali, hit the tape. Hi, Sam. The best thing that happened to me this week was that I took the train from Shanghai, where I live, to Nanjing to finalize the adoption of our son, who we've been fostering for two and a half years. It was an amazing feeling, and now I'm a mother of two. The best part of my week was surprising my partner with tickets to see Harry Potter and the Cursed Child for his 30th birthday. Mischief managed. I took a very hard exam in the introduction to chemistry class I'm taking this summer, and I did well. Hi, this is Tiffany from San Antonio, Texas, and what's making me happy this week is to very proudly announce the arrival of Miss Palmer Rose, my beautiful niece, courtesy of my amazing sister and her wonderful husband. The best thing that happened to me this week was that I made the decision to go to Israel for a 10-month teaching fellowship where I'll be helping to teach students English. The best thing that happened to me this week was that I got to work as a nurse at a summer camp for transgender kids on the East Coast. It was an unbelievably enriching experience where there are beautiful kids and wonderful staff. This is Serena calling from San Diego, California. The best thing that happened to me all week was when my 13-year-old son informed me that Fortnite is out and Minecraft is back in. And I'm doing that crazy Fortnite jig right now. Hey, Sam, it's Tim. And who are you? Uh, Julian. Hey, Julian, what's the best part about your week? Playing at your new preschool. Wait a second. <laughs> My favorite part about this week is that we got to pick blueberries for your birthday this week. And every year on your birthday, we call Sam Sanders and we say hi. Can you say hi, Sam? Hi, Samma. <laughs> Love the show, Sam. Keep up the great work. Bye, Sammy. Hope you're having a great week. Love the show. Thanks. Have a great week. Hi, right back at you, Tim and Julian. That was just the cutest thing. I love it. Blueberries and birthdays and preschool. That's amazing. Thanks to all the folks you heard there. Robin, Christina, Susan, Tiffany, Sarah, Alex, Serena, Tim, and Julian. My favorite part, besides hearing from Tim and Julian, was uh, hearing our listener from San Antonio say that her niece was delivered courtesy of. (laughs) Did you catch that? I like that. I like that. Uh, 
those warm my heart. All of these do. Everyone that you send in, we listen to. So keep them coming. Record the sound of your voice. Send that file to me at samsanders at npr.org. samsanders at npr.org. All right. We're going to wrap up this part of the show with Tupac Shakur and his song Changes because it's in the news this week. It's believed that it may have been involved with uh, Iowa's Department of Human Services Director Jerry Foxhoven getting fired because he was quoting Tupac too much in the emails. That really hurts my heart. There are a lot of worse things managers do in the office than inspirationally quote Tupac Shakur. That's true. It's boy, a good boy. song, though. Thanks again to my guests, Jenny Medina, national correspondent for The New York Times, based in L.A., Kirk Siegler, NPR correspondent covering America's rural urban urban divide. Thank y'all both for being here. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I learned a lot, and I had some fun. Glad to be back. Yes. This week, It's Been a Minute was produced by Anjali Sastry, Brent Bachman, and Samantha Balaban. Our fearless editors are Jordana Hokeman and Alex McCall. Our director of programming is NPR's Steve Nelson. Our big boss, the senior VP of programming here at NPR, is Anya Grundman. And our super, above all, executive producer is the spirit of Tupac, which I feel in the studio right now <laughs> as I play Changes. Uh, listeners, till next time, thank you so much for listening. I'm Sam Sanders. Talk soon. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up. We catch up. The show where we catch up on the week that was. What is wrong with my What is wrong with me today? Oh. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. I'm fine. Naruto run. I'm gonna I'm gonna Naruto run the rest of the show. That's what I'm doing. Things will never be the same.